hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for 3-3, it's saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! in the European Cup final. And it's another Red Agenda with The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall and uh, this is what's in store on today's pod. We're talking Timo. Why did Werner want the move to Chelsea and what's it say about Liverpool's spending power? Uh, a Merseyside derby to be played on Merseyside. Yes, it is possible, but will it happen? We'll look at what's changed on that front. And Jordan Roster once billed as the next Steven Gerrard, but that's sometimes a bit of an unhelpful tag. James Pearce has touched base with him. We'll catch up on that story a little bit later on. Let's get to our dynamic duo, Simon Hughes. Hello, Si. Good morning, Stephen. Yes, uh, and James as well. Just, James, I just mentioned that interview with uh, with Jordan Roster. Don't go in depth now, but you, you did catch up. Nice lads, um, and obviously you, you learnt a fair bit from that. Yeah, he's a, he is a cracking, cracking lad. Yeah, it was, um, it was hard to believe it was six years ago since mm. uh, I remember interviewing him by the side of the pitch after he scored in his debut against Middlesbrough in the League Cup. And uh, he's, had, he's had some really tough times since then. But um, yeah, I wondered whether before I spoke to him, whether it would be a bit of a, you know, a, a tale of woe. Uh, look, at, look at all these awful things that I've had to go through. But he, he's got a great outlook on life and still only 23 and still pretty buoyant that he can get back and, and, and still carve out a good career for himself. We'll get back to that story a little bit later in the, in the podcast. Let's start with Simon's favourite subject. It's Timo <laughs> Werner. Sometime soon we'll have a podcast that doesn't include his name on it. Um, but he's, he's heading to Chelsea, it looks, uh, by all means. And Jurgen Klopp has signalled that he couldn't really approve the financial move for Timo Werner at the time when the, the club is having to look at its finances. Is it a moral decision this Simon take it away <laughs> well I think it is it's mainly um, it's financial and, and, and sporting decision really obviously Dave, David Ornstein and a, a couple of other reporters at Athletic chipped in on the story sort of explaining what has happened since he agreed to, to, to join Chelsea I think that should be ratified at some point this week and but basically, I mean, Liverpool were clearly in for him. I mean, Jurgen Klopp had had conversations with him when I wanted to come. But this was obviously before coronavirus, and that's obviously changed uh, the financial outlook for a lot of clubs. It's slightly different for Chelsea because they've got a lot of money coming in for Alvaro Morata, so they've got money to spend. Liverpool, that, that financial outlook, although positive, is still nevertheless a bit uncertain because I think the club don't want to make big financial commitments at a time when, you know, I think Jürgen Klopp is quite clear about this on, on uh, one of the interviews I think he gave to Sky Sports a couple of days ago where he said, you know, there's a, we don't know for how long fans aren't going to be able to be allowed in the stadium, you know, that affects commercial, et cetera, et cetera. So he was prepared to buy Werner on the basis of, of Salah and Mane being away for the African Nations Cup next year, but it looks increasingly likely that that's going to be moved to a different uh, date as well. So it essentially meant that the Werner would be sitting out for not sitting out, but not playing, you know, every week for the first potentially, you know, could be as long as as a year. Who knows? I mean, he's not going to make too many changes to the forward line who've been so so good together for a number of years now, and so. It seemed like a big financial risk to take on a player who essentially might not be playing very as much as he would like, and potentially, you know, could potentially upset the balance within the squad. It's just ultimately, though, you know, Klopp, I think Klopp, if he had his choice, possibly 
would would have maybe still gone for him, but you know it's just such an uncertain time for everybody at the moment. I know Liverpool have made a, a big financial, a bit you know sort of a pre-tax profit last year, but you know the, the margins are still quite small, and obviously money is allocated to certain areas of the squad. If you sign Werner and aren't able to to renew contracts to your current players, that there's that the potential impact of that as well. So I, I guess you could describe this as a conservative decision mm. by Liverpool only time will tell whether it's the right one but you know let's not forget they've still got three absolutely world class strikers already in the squad with a couple of you know young players coming up who've got a lot of potential as well so only time will tell, uh, you know, whether this is the uh, the right decision. So Simon indicating that if Klopp had his choice, then he might still have got the player in. It sort of begs the question, at what, at what level was this decision made? Jürgen's obviously convinced the player himself to come, and then there's been a, a conversation a few weeks after that. But has Jürgen gone to Fenway Sports Group in between, James, and received further clarification on actually what he is allowed to do and what he isn't allowed to do? Yeah, well, he, he has a very close relationship with, with Mike Gordon, the FSG president, who, who essentially runs Liverpool on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, Mike Gordon, Jurgen Klopp and, and Michael Edwards, the sporting director, they are the the three kind of uh, major major powers at Liverpool and they, they're involved in all those big decisions. So it wouldn't have been a, a shock to Klopp or anything like that. You know, he, they're in constant dialogue. And I think it was pretty clear from quite early on in, in the coronavirus pandemic that that things had shifted. You know, I think we've said on this podcast many times that the, the word out of Liverpool was everything was on hold transfer-wise. You know, how could they commit to anything when there was all this uncertainty? And and the reality is, you know, that that is still the case. And that is what has enabled Chelsea to, to nip in when, you know, Werner wanted Liverpool, Klopp wanted Werner. And so it was, it was one of those ones that, you know, back in February time, it was just one of those ones where you just thought, well, so it's almost a no-brainer. This, you know, for for someone of his his caliber with that release clause, you, you just everything pointed to the deal happening. But you know, and then but then coronavirus happened, and I think the the big thing, and you know, I've had a lot of people on social media say to me, well, you know, why why are Liverpool more affected than Chelsea? Why you can't, on the one hand, say it's coronavirus, but Chelsea you're having to battle with the crisis as well. But it's you know, it's it's two completely different business models. FF, FSG run Liverpool like a business. It has to live within its means. You know, they've done an unbelievable job at raising those revenues, which has enabled them to invest a lot more money in the squad. You have to look at the way in which the wage bill is, you know, is, is absolutely rocketed to over £300 million a year now. Whilst Chelsea with Abramovich... Uh, it's a different way, you know. He's he's willing to prop it up. He's willing to put in his own money. They're, also, Chelsea are in a position where they need to take much greater risks. You know, they're a long, long way behind Liverpool currently. So that is why you know they they have been able to to make this deal work. While in contrast, Liverpool looked at it and said, you know, there's just we, we how can we commit? Because it's not just what was it, 54 million pound fee. In wages, you're talking about a hundred million pound commitment, and um, when they weighed everything up, Liverpool felt they just couldn't justify that in the current climate. How much does it affect Liverpool's path of progression over the next couple of years? Not making this signing right now, Simon. Well, one thing I just want to add as well. I mean, I think that you know Klopp clearly is on board with the general, you know, feeling at Liverpool. You know, clearly a manager is always going to want to improve his squad, and I think. Werner would have done that, 
but you know, at this moment in time, there are obviously risks attached to to making that sign, and you know, he he understands what's going on in the world and wouldn't want to jeopardise you know Liverpool's finances for for what at this moment really, if we're being honest about it, is it is an indulgence signing in many ways because it's not like it's an area where Liverpool are struggling. It's not like mm. you know they'd be spending the same amount of a similar amount of money, or should I say they'd be breaking a record for a striker in the same way they broke a record for a goalkeeper and a centre-half, but those players would be going straight into the team, whereas Werner wouldn't. So could, it is a could, they, could they have kept him happy, Simon? Well, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think, you know, Klopp, from what I can tell, speaking to people around Klopp, it, Werner was understanding and appreciative of, of, of sort of the situation. But I think, as I said before, what what's made it more of a difficult sort of argument is the uncertainty around the African nation, uh, Africa Cup of Nations, which is meant to be in January. Obviously, would have kept two players um, away from Klopp's consideration. Whereas now, of those two players there, it's difficult to say where Werner gets is is in. You know, like in the same way, somebody like Fabinho came in and and for a lot of money, people forget. You know, it was a lot of money to spend on 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 him. Uh, and he had to wait for, for quite a long time to get his place in the team. So it's a similar situation to that, although the landscape around Liverpool has changed a lot since then. So, um, yeah, I mean, what was your question originally, Steve? I've obviously gone off the uh, off on a tangent. No, I there. think I've lost it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably more the point about, you know, if you, if you are Timo Werner and you're not making that move now, you know, I think a few weeks ago he signalled that he'd be happy to wait it out. All yeah, of a sudden, yeah. he, he he's saying, no, Chelsea is fine for me. Is he thinking yeah. back to last summer when he, where he nearly had a move to Bayern Munich and it collapsed, and he's just thinking, I can't let more of these these deals pass me by? Yeah, I mean, there is a huge element to that. I mean, he was certain he was signing for Bayern Munich last summer and it's, I think from what I've been told, like sort of giving up his, his lease on his apartment in... in um, in, in Leipzig and was was all ready to move to Munich and then obviously it fell sort of fell through at the last minute and he went back to Leipzig and not the most positive frame of mind and he's really been burned by that experience I think um, you know has changed his view of, of Bayern Munich as a club and, and, and it would be hard to see him playing for them at some point in the future with the way that whole business was handled so he he, he realises you know he's, he's, he's sort of in his mid-twenties now and, and needs to go you know, and, and get one of these moves soon. You know, the, the Chelsea one is 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 one where for him, I think, you know, as, as James sort of alluded to there, that they're at a different stage of transition at the moment. You know, they're sort of trying to do things a different way that they haven't done for a number of years. Where you know, the, the sort of there's a bit of, been a bit of a reset button pressed at Chelsea, whereby okay, they've got a lot of young players, but there's still a bit of money to spend on sort of the key players that they want. So he will go to Chelsea as a, as a, as a starting player straight away. You know, they're, they're going to lose Willian in in the summer, you know, a play, another attacking player who's been a, a great player for them over a number of years. So there is place for him in the team as well. So I think it sort of just ticks a lot of boxes from his point of view. But from what I'm told, you know, he, he was, you know, it seems to be... Um, you know, it was left on good terms with Liverpool. You know, Klopp explains the position of Liverpool and didn't want to sort of to sour the relationship. And that's one of the things that I think Klopp is pretty, pretty good with. You know, sort of very clear on why things are happening in a certain way. So, yeah, I mean, on, on a personal level, I mean, I've liked what I've seen of Werner. You know, over you know a number of years, but. You know, is he any better than what Liverpool have got at the moment? I'm not so sure. So I can understand sort of the frustration amongst the fan base because obviously it's a it's another one of those transfer 
sagas, if you like, which have mm. ended with Liverpool not getting the player that they wanted. But I think the circumstances are different now because A, because the world has changed and B, because you know Liverpool are a much better team than they were when this is ha- sort of thing has happened before. James, is it tough for the manager, do you think, to let a transfer pass by such a high target, high profile player who's clearly got a lot of quality? Do you think he'll be frustrated by that situation? I think he'd be frustrated with the overall situation. Not he certainly there wouldn't. There's no friction there with the owners. I think the, the I think that's probably a misconception in some in some quarters. The idea that he will feel let down or whatever that, that this this hasn't been given the green light. I think you know Klopp just isn't one of those managers. You know, you, uh, you know in in the past there has been situations where there have been there has been friction, but Klopp Klopp is you know he, he's a realist. I think he will know. You know, he, he summed it up perfectly with those comments to Sky Germany about, you know, how, how can you, how can you actually look, look, you know, Virgil Van Dijk and Mo Salah and Sadio Mane in the eye and say we really need you to take a, a 20 percent pay cut or whatever because the, the revenue streams have have dried up and then you know and then announce a sixty million pound signing and a guy on two hundred grand a week you just it's just very difficult to do. And, you know, I, I think back to it, just you think in the early months of Klopp's reign, there was a Brazilian player called Alex Teixeira that, um, that very nearly became Klopp's first signing at Liverpool. And I, and I remember speaking to the owners about that and the, the, the demands just seemed to rocket and rocket. And it was actually Klopp who pulled the plug on that one himself, who just said, no, you know, this is ridiculous. He is not worth this kind of money. So he, he's he's just not one of those managers who will just say, no, this is what I want. You know, I don't care. Just make it happen. You know, he's he's very in tune with with the world around him and, and the financial landscape. And so I think, yeah, frustration on the one hand, but also, you know, an acceptance that this is the the reality of the situation. Personally, I, you know, I'm really, I was disappointed because I think he would have been great for Liverpool. And, Regardless of whether Afcon gets put back to 2022, which it looks like it probably will do, um, I, I do feel that you know if Liverpool are going to really kick on and and you know and and win two, three, four titles in the next five, six years or whatever, that they do need greater depth in that striking department, and and I do think that the drop off is too great between the current front three. Um, and what Klopp has got to bring on. I think Origi hasn't kicked on as everyone would have hoped him to, to on the back of the amazing end he had to last season. Um, so, yeah, I would have loved to see Werner there because I also think you know, for, for the money he was um, and the age he is and the potential, I would have loved to have seen Klopp work with him because I think he would have taken him to the next level. But... Um, as it is, we're now going to have to get used to, to watching him in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah, if you, if you look at fans on social media, they've maybe quickly moved away from Werner to talking about different players and the prospect of enticing different talent to Anfield. The, the reality is very different, isn't it, Simon? Well, yeah, I mean, Jürgen, again, I refer to that interview that he gave, you know, made it quite clear that um, publicly that it's very unlikely that Liverpool are going to be making many, if, if any, signings this summer. So... He's, you know, from my experience, he's not the sort of manager to play games, you know, not going to, it's not trying to lead other clubs to think that Liverpool have got less money. I just think that's the reality of it. I think, you know, there is an element of him that, you know, he's, he's happy to be working with this squad, to have this group of players, you know, at their peaks. I mean, I, I've mentioned before about the concern is in the forward department that, you know, sort of the three players, very similar age and, 
if you don't plan too far ahead, you know, they get old together. So I do think that's something that they need to address at some point. Um, and I, I do agree with James that, 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 that there is greater depth needed. But, you know, you can't also, you've got to also account for the potential development of some of the younger players in the, in the, in the, and I think Rian Brewster, the club have made such a big sort of commitment to him in terms of, um, you know, he's, he's a very sort of public person, despite even, you know, not playing that many games, really. You know, everybody knows who he is. You know, he's very confident in front of the media. He's done lots of interviews. You know, he's he's being able to take on, you know, sensitive issues that the players his age normally wouldn't, you know, over, over race. And I think it's quite clear that the club like him a lot. So you've got a question, when does he get his game time? And, and, and when he gets that game time, does he develop quickly at that point? You know, it's, it's quite... I'm always fascinated to see that that leap. Can players make that leap? You know, suddenly that rapid development of, of a player uh, can happen when he, he's sort of exposed to, to adult football, if you like. So it's, it's going to be a big year for him potentially. Now, you know, I think he, he's he's going to have to sort of step up a little bit along with one or two of the other younger players because clearly Liverpool are losing Adam Lallana, still question marks over Shakiri. So what you don't want is. Is is a squad that that's potentially weaker, but uh, at the risk of sounding like sort of Liverpool's PR, because I'm certainly not that. But I, I do think that the only person you can sort of trust on this is is Klopp. Um, you know, he, he knows how good some of these young players are coming through, and you know, from from we've seen that they do have that ability. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if Liverpool really went in and made any big signings this summer. Now it's, it's quite clear that the. They've taken a, as I said, a conservative uh, decision to to sort of stick with what they've got and um, and not 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 place any risks in the transfer market. Yeah, and you have to trust and believe that they're correctly planning for the future. There's a question here from uh, from Binny on the um, the Red Agenda inbox who says, with many players in the 28 year old range, it's challenging replacing all of them in a short frame of time. But is the club doing enough to plan? Ahead, well, you'd have to believe, James, that that this is a major priority for for Jurgen Klopp, considering the new contract he signed himself. Yeah, and I, and I think that was one of the big attractions for him was that further down the line, having to almost create a second Liverpool team, having created one that's you know certainly the best I've ever seen in, in my lifetime, um, and that you know, and and he he knows that that is that is on the agenda, but it's not. As we said, you know, 28, 29, these are peak, peak years. It's not as you don't, you don't look at this Liverpool team and think, oh, God, have, you know, have Salamane, Firmino, you know, Van Dijk. Have they, have they got another good 12 months? And you know, of course they have. They, you know, they, they, these are players that, you know, that have, that have still got probably three years, um, you know, at their absolute elite level. Um but yeah, I think you know he, and that was that was one of the you know part of the reasons why Klopp wanted to to, to stay and and do that was because he, he didn't get the opportunity at Dortmund, did he? He didn't didn't get the chance really at Dortmund to to keep the elite team that he built together because you know their players were getting cherry picked. I think he's now got Liverpool in a position where you know they're they're not going to be losing key personnel. They're not going to be getting lured away because. Why would you want to be anywhere else apart from Liverpool when you know you're competing for and winning the biggest prizes? You're earning big money as well, as that as that wage bill illustrates. So, um, so yeah, there'll be a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes. I mean, Liverpool tend to plan, you know, two two transfer windows in advance, and you know, with the 
you know, all the data analysts they've got and the recruitment staff, you, you can guarantee that there'll be a huge amount of work behind the scenes in terms of, you know, whether those players need to be replaced in, you know, 2022 or 2023 or whatever. But yeah, in terms of tweaks to the squad this summer, it, it is going to be very, very minor. You know, I think we've spoke about it on the podcast before as well about, you know, the coronavirus will have a big impact in terms of some of the fees that Liverpool can command for for fringe players who probably would have left this summer. So, you know, th- there's some big decisions to be made there and you know, for people like, you know, Harry Wilson, Marco Gruich, you know, Shakiri, even even someone like Dayan Lovren, you think, well, you know, there, there, there may well be an argument, certainly with Wilson and Gruich, that you're better off keeping hold of them for another 12 months on the basis that, you know, if you, if you were to sell this summer, you, you'd be having to accept, you know, real knockdown fees. So it could actually extend to almost three years without Liverpool making a major buy Simon if it continued <laughs> like this until maybe next next summer mm. it, it, that's an interesting one to digest isn't it yeah it's, it's incredible really um, I mean I remember last season uh, sorry What's it? So we're still on this season let's, let's say we're still on this season so the season Liverpool won the Champions League obviously Jürgen spoke a lot about sort of Pochettino and his, his admiration for the way he'd handled that process of moving to a new ground and and not signing any um, any players that summer, and how obviously they, they to a point maintain the development of the team. Now, I do think that that, that is a, also a warning because obviously since reaching the final, Tottenham of uh, the Champions League final against Liverpool, they, they didn't have a great Premier League season, but they've also you know fallen off a cliff a little bit, and they're, you know going to go through a big a big rebuilding process. It seems under Mourinho, so it is a warning that you, you've got to rebuild at the right time I, I still feel you know you, you watch this Liverpool team this is just a personal observation that you feel when you watch them it still feels fresh there still feels like there's energy in this team there's still a drive to go and achieve something else and I wonder you know given that Liverpool even when they, they do win the league over the next few weeks um, or month you know that the fact that it won't be in the most normal of circumstances well it won't be in any anything resembling a normal circumstance you know, next season the players I'd imagine will want to go and do it again because of because of that. So you still got like that drive. I, I'd be surprised we didn't see that drive in this Liverpool team. But there will come a point, you know, that where Liverpool are going to have to slowly and steadily start bringing in new players because if you look at football's history, the clubs who've won stuff and and not done that cleverly mm. have often found themselves falling behind quite quickly because. As we've seen, you know, Chelsea will be better, I would think, next season, you know, with the players that they've committed towards. You know, Zayec from Ajax is a very good player as well. And, you know, Manchester City, you know, they'll be stronger. You know, so the rivals are going to be getting stronger. Liverpool are going to have a big battle on to make sure that they don't stagnate. But as I said, I still sort of feel, watch Liverpool team, that still it still seems like there's still development to be made with the players that are there, that some of the players that they've got can still get better and the cohesion between the team could, could be improved. So it's going to be a new challenge for Klopp. And I think that James sort of touched on it then. You know, I think that really excites him, the fact that, you know, can he get more? Can he extract absolutely everything out of these players, you know, that he's got, you know, and, 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 and go and achieve more? I suspect sooner or later they will have to bring in some new players. But for the time being, I don't think Werner was going to make a huge difference, you know, over the next 12 months, if I'm being totally honest. That's just my opinion. Anyway, it was one for the next few years. So they still got a bit of time to sort of address that. You can put him to bed for a while, Simon. We'll, t- we'll try not to bring him thanks, up in the, in, in the next few weeks. 
Shevchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Dude. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. And don't forget, you can get a free 30-day trial. Uh, Just head to the site and you can check out all the brilliant articles uh, that are on there. I know you guys have enjoyed reading uh, a few of the other pieces, some connected to Liverpool, some that aren't. What's what's caught your imagination recently, James? Do you know what? I absolutely love the... uh... The Nigel Clough interview, uh, written by uh, our colleague Stuart James. Um, yeah, he went. He went. He, he went with Clough to walk his dog in uh, in Derby, and um, yeah, fascinating chat, which I think says a lot about Nigel Clough as a as a man talking about his decision to to walk away from Burton Albion just to help ease their financial woes uh, as a result of coronavirus. You know, a man of a great principle and yeah, yeah I thought he, he comes across brilliantly in that and uh, yeah looking forward to seeing what, what challenge he takes up next because you know, from reading that it's clear that his, uh, his passion for management is as strong as ever yeah well worth a read on that front and, and for yourself Si any of the articles I, I liked uh, Jack Lang's piece on Yaya Torre who, who is obviously still active as a footballer and was attracting a lot of interest from two big uh, clubs in Rio, Botafogo and, and Vasco da Gama, who were fighting hard to try and make sure that he, he went over to, over to Rio. Um, one of the clubs had done a, you know, sort of done the, the promotional video and received a lot of backing from from um, sponsors to, to ensure that they were able to, to pay his wages. And then in the end, uh, Yaya Torre sort of thought, felt, you know, with everything going on in Brazil, I don't really fancy this this deal. So it's caused a lot of. <laughs> Caused a lot of problems. He must be the first footballer ever to sort of actually reassess his view of Rio, I think, and, and think he doesn't doesn't want to live there. So, so yeah, it just says a lot about the way things are in Brazil at the moment. Right, some great articles uh, on the Athletic. You can get a free 30-day trial and some brilliant podcasts as well. And at, at this point, um, it's worth just sending our, our thoughts and our love out to Mark Chapman, of course. Um, you've probably seen some of the headlines in the news. Mark, who um, who hosts the brilliant podcast with David Ornstein, sadly losing his wife, uh, Sarah, in the last few days. So I, d- I don't know Mark, but a lot of love to him. Brilliant broadcaster. And we are thinking of him and his family. Right, this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. Let's have a look at the Merseyside Derby scheduled for Sunday, June the 21st. It's live on Sky and it may well be staged at Goodison Park. Something Liverpool's Mayor Joe Anderson was uh, very much against a few weeks ago, James, but he's he's made a U-turn on this. He says um, the fans might now respect the advice to stay away. He feels the message has been put across to fans. Yeah, I think um, certainly a U-turn from the mayor of Liverpool, and I think a, a welcome one. Um, you know, I know his his initial comments didn't go down well at all at Liverpool. I think you had to look at the speed with which they they released a statement a month or so ago, um, kind of re- refuting what he was saying about uh, the the fears of uh, of fans congregating outside the stadiums if um, if football did come back. Um, but I think you know Joe Anderson clearly having having uh, with the passage of time and and spoken to all the relevant authorities, I think common sense prevailing for him to say that he feels now that the derby should go ahead at Goodison and, and Liverpool should be able to play their remaining home games at Anfield. So we've still got the see the safety advisory group to meet later on this week and for the uh, the safety certificate and all the rest of it to to go through before that that is rubber stamped. But the fact that the mayor of Liverpool who was so vocally against 
the idea has now has now come around to it. Um, you know, it is an is another massive nod, I think, towards the the, the derby being played at Goodison, and rightly so because. To me, it would have been an absolute nonsense to um, to have moved to anywhere else. So, give us an idea of the size of work that's gone on in the background with safety advisory <laughs> groups and fans groups as well to get to this stage. Yeah, well, I, I did a piece last week about sort of how the neutral ground idea, you know, sort of started and has gained legs and has gradually re- retreated. I mean, originally the Premier League were, were just desperate to get Project Restart on on the agenda, and I suspect would have played games on the moon if, you know, would have meant finishing off this season and you know, sort of playing games anywhere across the country just just eliminated a lot of arguments at, at that time. You know, when coronavirus was was obviously you know not even reaching a peak at that point, so. They had to, you know, get people realize or clubs realizing, you know, the, the the importance of this and 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 ensure that the conversation at least started and and, and gained gained some traction. So from there, you know, obviously a lot of different people have had their say. And Joe Anderson originally made his comments at a point where, you know, again, I think we had a, sort of the peak levels of the virus at that point. And to some extent, I, I can understand his, his his concerns, but. You know, it, it sort of felt like it was a decree at the time, rather than any any sort of informed opinion, because he he hadn't really liaised with the other relevant authorities who may have been able to help him with his concerns. And as he told Greg O'Keefe in his, you know, in the in the news story yesterday about his, his sort of U-turn, you know, that the, the the situation's changed quite quickly since then, which is fine. So. You know, it seems like well, by the end of the week we'll have some clarity on whether whether the game will take place at Goodison. I, I suspect it. You know, it will because uh, Joe Anderson's deputy sits on on that that board, the safety advisory board, who are the ones who ultimately hand out the licenses to 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 get games to go ahead. So for all the noise from police officers, from various other figures in authority, you know. That's just their opinion. It's not; they don't have real any any say on or final say on what happens. So, the Premier League have always been clear that they uh, will try as much as they could to to ensure that games went ahead in the the stadiums that were expected. Now it seems like uh, you know we, we we ran with the story last week that it look you know that it looks very increasingly unlikely that any games will take place at neutral venues. I think you know the 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 only the only circumstance where they will is if certain figures who've had their say seem like some of their opinions were vindicated by giving them you know one or two games at neutral venues, but whether that happens or not, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very dubious at the moment. And equally, it will only take place at neutral venues if there's, as a contingency. So, say if there's a spike in 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 mm. in, um, in coronavirus in certain areas, games might get moved in the future. But you know that it's it's only ever was really going to be a contingency, you know, amongst the people who can actually influence what's going on. Yeah, because ultimately this will be decided by the R8, of course, in different areas and the extent to which it's under control. I mean, Everton do want to host the game, don't they, James? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, both clubs um, have, have worked you know, very closely with fan groups and all the rest of it. And have, um, you know, I think that was one of the reasons why the, the, the safety advisory meeting initially was going to be Monday has been put back to later on in the week was was just to give the the clubs a bit more time to to state out exactly how they how they plan to kind of work together and work with fan groups to to do everything possible to to keep fans away from from congregating. So um so yeah, I think 
there's a you know an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes and um you know I, it was it, it just it needs it needs to stay where it is it's you know it's it, it, it's just ridiculous i think that it's even become that that you know it's got this close to the return and it's still up in the air because um you know i i think the vast vast majority of supporters would uh, would listen to the advice and, and stay well away let's go to um some of the questions on the inbox we'll get to james's piece with jordan rossiter very shortly but let's get through some of the questions i wanted to mention first of all the uh, the liverpool women's team and of course um in the past week relegation confirmed for them there's a, a question here from adam on the inbox who says is there any plan to properly fund the women's team now that they're relegated. Was there, Simon, any suggestion the women's team wasn't properly funded? And actually, mm-hmm. what sort of effect does this have on the football club? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the person who asked that question should read Sarah Shepard's piece from a, a month ago about sort of how things unraveled for the for the women's team um, over a number of years, really. I mean, it, it, go, it goes back quite a long time because... I think it was 2012. You know, Liverpool started putting a lot more money into women's football and 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 had achieved quite a lot of success quite quickly and became you know champions. And since then, you know, the, the, there has been cutbacks and um, this has obviously resulted in the team being relegated. So I, I really stress that you should read that piece because it, it's um, it's got a lot of detail um, on exactly what has happened now. Knowing Liverpool the way they are, I mean, they've obviously had quite a lot of bad PR off the back of this, really. You know, while the first team sort of flourishes, you know, the women's team is is, is struggling. Um, yes, you know, the economic, I bring it back to the economic reality that, you know, if, if the first team is, Liverpool's men's first team is, is, is unable to sign players, I'm struggling to see where the money would be to, to go and put it into to the women's team. So, for the time being, I'm, I'm struggling to see how, how that improves, really. But there's no doubt, you know, that obviously to, to have any team associated with Liverpool being relegated, you know, it's it's, it's a shame, really. It's a, it's a real shame on the club's name because, you know, it's 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 not a name that you associate with relegation. I, th- I think I'm mm. right in saying, you know, it's the first relegation of any kind that the club has suffered since the 1950s. So... You know that 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 means something. That so it's something that Liverpool, I, I feel, really need to address when you know the world starts to get back to some sort of normality. Because um, at the moment, obviously, things things haven't been going well for for quite a period of time, which has resulted in this. Gutted for uh, for Vicky Jepson and the and the team. She's a fantastic manager. They they put a statement on the Liverpool website where she said all we hoped for was the chance to finish the season on the pitch and we were confident we could get the performances out of ourselves unfortunately we didn't get the opportunity to fight for that place on the grass and it's a difficult pill to swallow it's a similar sort of situation that Tranmere Rovers could be facing as well James it's not easy if you are a player or a manager and you you suffer this fate in this way yeah 100% I think especially because we know we know how many twists and turns that there always are you know whatever league when you look down the bottom you know, there's every year, isn't there? There's stories of teams dragging themselves out of trouble when, when they maybe looked like they were they were doomed, and you know, especially with it being so tight as well. I can understand the, the frustration and the disappointment across the board because what they a point behind Birmingham City women with you know we're still with you know what probably eight eight games or so, seven or eight games left to play. So yeah, it's 
you know, it's it's embarrassing, really, you know, for Liverpool to to drop out of the the WSL. I think, you know, obviously the club were keen. They were one of the clubs, not surprisingly, that were keen to try and find a way to to complete the season to give them themselves the chance to secure their safety. But um, you know, the vote was taken across the WSL and the Championship, the league below, and the um, you know. I think, unfortunately, you know, money talks, doesn't it, to a large degree. And, you know, we've seen in the Premier League, you know, the, you know a lot of that is driven by just how much is at stake in terms of the, the TV money and the potential rebate and all the rest of it. And on the women's side of it, it was deemed that it, it wasn't realistic for those clubs to be able to do it. So, yeah, Liverpool have got to take stock. And I think, you know, certainly from the people I've spoken to the last few days, you know, there is a commitment there to... To, to, to kind of make sure that they do fix what has gone wrong with Liverpool women and come back strong because, um, you know, it has been a, a major disappointment. And I think you only have to look at the fact that, you know, Mike Gordon, the FSG president, has become a lot more involved in the women's side in recent months. Um, you know, I, said, I know he was certainly involved in, you know, a, a lot of things that went on in terms of meetings after, you know, especially things like you think back to the state of Tranmere's pitch earlier on this season. And, you know, I think I think it was the Chelsea manager, wasn't it, very critical of the facilities that, that Liverpool women were having to to use and, and, and play on. And so, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things there to, to be addressed. But, you know, I think in terms of the financing, you know, one, one thing I would say is it's, it's not as if the, the budget has been absolutely slashed or anything like that. It's just that, that there are other clubs in the women's game in recent years who have thrown a lot more money at it. You look at the top of the table and, you know, not surprisingly, the, the teams at the top are the ones that spend the most, you know, Chelsea and, and, and Man City and, of course, Arsenal up there as well. And, you know, Liverpool's women's budget just hasn't accelerated at the at the same rate, which is, um, you know, that, that partly explains where they are. Right, let's get back to the uh, the inbox. Plenty of questions about um, financing at the football club. Hopefully we've answered some of those in the first 20 minutes of the podcast. Here's one from uh, from Alan Murphy talking about Marco Gruwich. Si, does he, does he have a future at Anfield? As Klopp's first signing, there's been very little signs so far to suggest that might be the case. What is the word on Marco Gruwich? Because, what is he, 24 now? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's obviously had a couple of good seasons in the Bundesliga with Hertha Berlin and really imposed himself on that team. I mean, he's an imposing-looking character, isn't he? And, you know, different sort of midfielder to what Liverpool have got at the moment. You know, last last summer, Liverpool, from what I was told, were keen to find a buyer for him. There was was some interest from Spanish clubs who were willing to spend quite a lot of money on him as well. Liverpool would have had a... A big profit on him, you know. In this, in the same, we mentioned before, you know, Harry Wilson, players like that, you know, those sorts of players, you know, Liverpool can make a big profit on, which contribute towards the bigger signings. But as we, as we know, like at this moment in time, um, the, um, you know, the whether they're going to get those sorts of premium fees for these sorts of players who are on the fringes of the first team, it can't really, we, we, we don't really know. I mean, one thing that has changed, and one thing that. I, I was told recently was that obviously Hertha Bale in the club that he's been playing for for the last two seasons have come, suddenly become a very wealthy club. You know, they've been taken over. They've spent a, a lot of money in the winter transfer window. And I think that spending is going to in, continue over the next couple of years. So it'd be interesting to see whether they, they've obviously been impressed with him. He plays every week. Um, each They've had quite a few managers and every manager has picked him. You know, he's had a real impact on their team. So, whether whether they'll come up with you know with a big offer for him remains to be seen. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did because he, he has done very well out there. I I just think 
you know, I'm not sh- quite sure whether he's got the the mobility to play in a clock midfield. Um, but as as we've discussed previously, if if um, if Liverpool are unable to sort of make the moves that they would normally make in the transfer market, perhaps he might get a few more opportunities than would be expected normally. Okay, let's go back uh, to the inbox. And this one from Tasmin, who says, uh, James, the Nike sponsorship deal isn't clear to me. Can you discuss a little bit more about it, please? If, as reported, it's £10 million less than the existing New Balance deal, why have Liverpool opted for Nike? And there was actually another Nike-related question that came in, and this is from, uh, I think, Kieran, who said, is it possible that Nike could influence Liverpool's transfers in the future? There you go, two things for you to get stuck (laughs) into, James. Uh, Right, well, I'll deal with the second one first, because I... I've, I've, I have seen it suggested on social media that Nike, Nike would essentially buy Liverpool Kylian Mbappe, which was be very, very kind of them. Um, but I think it's fair to say that will not be happening. Um, no, Nike aren't going to start buying players for Liverpool. Uh, in terms of the appeal for Liverpool of the Nike deal, the, um, you know, it, it's right to say that on the face of it, the, the flat fee is 30 million per season compared to 40 million with New Balance. But the massive attraction for Liverpool is that is that this deal will grow and grow as Liverpool to continue to grow as a as a global kind of powerhouse because they they get as well as that 30 million flat fee per season, they get 20% royalties uh, on all net sales of of merchandise. Um, I think it drops to 5% on footwear. But but twenty percent on every everything else merchandise wise. So, you know that that is a that was a major pull for Liverpool in this deal. And also, you know, having been down in London for the uh, the court case when um, New Balance and Nike were were, were uh, you know in disagreement over who should be keeping the uh, who should be having the deal from next season onwards. I think that was back in October November time. Um, you know what was clear then was that you know Nike have just got a huge you know, global network, which just dwarfs New Balance's operation. I think, you know, New Balance were, were getting Liverpool gear into, I think, what, two, 3,000 stores globally. I think Nike had said they'd had pre-orders for 8,000 stores around the world. So, um, so yeah, that that's the big attraction for, for Liverpool of this Nike deal. It doesn't lock them into a, a one-set fee um, for the next five years. It's, it's one that will... It will continue to grow. I think the only downside of that for Liverpool, of course, is pre-pandemic. That looked unbelievably good for them. Um, but of course, when it's when it's heavily related to royalties and, and merchandise sales, you're you're also reliant on on shops being open around the world, people having jobs and disposable cash to to go and spend in those shops and and feel safe to go shopping as well. So. Um, yeah, and also, I suppose the the other thing to say on that is, you know, the the launch date, which would have been at the start of June, um, will now be at the start of of August after um, you know the the agreement was thrashed out as we wrote on the Athletic a few months back. The Liverpool would complete this season in the New Balance kit, and then um, they'll wear Nike from the start of next season. I uh, hope we've answered as many questions as possible. There's loads more on there. We do appreciate them being sent in. We'll do another Red Agenda Inbox uh, next week. Let's just get finally to a piece that you've written on John Rossiter. And um, for those who know the name and remember the time where he was being massively hyped, there was the comparison of a, a budding Stephen Gerrard. Well, you caught up with um, with Jordan and I think... 
at the time, he just had that that appearance, that look that maybe he was the the, the scouser who fitted in the same position on the pitch and would go through the same sort of growth in playing terms. But it was an awful lot to ask, wasn't it, James? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, you know it was it, all, all the hype around him wasn't it wasn't like someone who was just talked up out of out of nowhere. You know, he was he was a hugely gifted individual in the youth ranks at Liverpool. You know, and you had to look at the fact that. You know, he was he was playing for the, the under 18s at the age of 15. He was playing for the under 21s at the age of 16. Um, you know, he was he was captain of England at 16s and 17s as well. But you know, as we know, it's such a big leap um, to go from being that you know that young kid that everyone's talking about to to proving it in the in the senior ranks. And you know, he had, he got off to a dream start with that that goal in his debut. I think it was only ten minutes in against Middlesbrough, second youngest goal scorer in the club's history behind Michael Owen. Um, but he was dealt some really really bad luck after that. Um, you know, some couple of couple of bad hamstring injuries he had um at the back end of his his time at Liverpool he was he was just starting to force his way in really under Brendan Rodgers and then um when Klopp came in he, he he wasn't fit and I think you know that that left him playing catch up and you know, he, he then went to Rangers in uh, in 2016 thinking that he could there get the regular game time that he he really craved but he he had some bad fortune in terms of just muscle injuries kept on getting really close to fitness and then breaking down again and in the end they discovered it was his back that had been causing him trouble so they they got to the bottom of that but um but yeah and then you know a couple of loan spells to try and get try and get his career back on track at Berry and then at Fleetwood earlier on this season and then back in November did his ACL ruptured it in a game in League One against against Tranmere and He's a free agent, so out of work at the moment, um, but still only 23. And I think, um, you know, certainly from speaking to him, he's just got a, a really, really positive outlook on life and no doom and gloom, no, you know, no bemoaning his lot or thinking about what might have been and um, you know, sp- spoke in glowing terms about the time that he spent at Liverpool and, you know, very much of the, you know, the idea that, you know, do you know what? I played five games more for Liverpool than I thought I ever would do. And, you know, most people will ever get the chance to do rather than rue what got away and still, you know, very, very optimistic that he can put these problems behind him. And, and, you know, he said himself, he wants to get back to the Premier League, which is a, you know, it is a big ask, but, you know, he is still only 23 years of age. Got me thinking, Simon, about how, how quickly young players can actually fall from their position. So if, if we talk about a Jordan roster, dropping to Rangers isn't so bad a thing, but then maybe a League One or, or a League Two. And sometimes they're so mm. massively hyped, aren't they? But a lot of these players, and I think James put a line in his piece, not many of the under-19 squad that he was involved in in the 2014 season actually remain in any sort of high-profile mm. position in a team. And, mm. and, and that maybe signifies that, you know, you might be at the academy, Liverpool Academy, but you've still got a long way to go to make it in in your football career. Yeah, well, I just think it sort of really emphasises how talented Trent Alexander-Arnold is, and, and and sort of you know he's learning the game at the the very highest level, isn't he? And and, and influence, a massive influence on one of the great Liverpool teams and that, that's what the standard is so for any player coming up through the ranks at the moment you know they, they, they've got to be pretty good to ensure they get a chance but I mean I, I remember speaking to Jamie Carragher it must have been I think it was his last season um, as, as, as a player before he retired so it would have been around 2013 I remember he did say at the time you know 
really like Jordan Ross. He said in training, he you know really made an impact. What he liked most was was sort of his, you know, vocally he wasn't he wasn't afraid of sort of organising the players around him, and he said that really impressed him. So he thought if he developed physically, you know, he, he's he's got a real chance. Yeah, and I, I mean, he, he, I've got quite a funny story relating to him because I remember when um, when Liverpool beat Manchester City. To, to in 2014, he, he was actually sitting behind me in, in Anfield's main stands, and he, he actually ripped my coat um, <laughs> because uh, in, in the celebrations for one of the goals, he he he, he sort of jumped on. He dive bombed you. And, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Never, never, never got a new coat off the back of it, which um, <laughs> it frustrating really. But yeah, but I mean, he, he was he was a really good player, and and I I thought you know that he had he had a great chance, and I think that you know that this season. We've done a few stories like this, you know, it goes back to Adam Morgan, somebody who one moment, I guess he's, you know, sort of, he's, he's playing for Liverpool's first team and scoring in front of, you know, a big crowd and on a pre-season tour in in, um, in Canada, you know, in Toronto under Brendan Rodgers, you know, everything seems possible. And then, you know, I say one moment, it's eight, eight years later, he's playing for Romford, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in Essex. It's, it's just a big fall from grace. And the, the reality is, I think for a lot of players is that there's a greater chance that at best they'll become non-league football players. You know, that football doesn't really set set players up for the reality is what is likely to follow. And, you know, I've spoken to a few players recently. I remember Jordan Lussie was another player who, who was doing well in Liverpool's reserves. And he, he's just, um, he, he's gone back to Liverpool recently just to train, even though he's 23, I think 24 now. And, He's been go- he invited back by the club by Alex Inglethorpe to sort of get his fitness back because he wants to get back into full-time football. I haven't played um, a lot of non-league football recently. You know, Jack Dunn, another one who plays at Under-17 World Cup and now I think he finished last season on loan on at Southport. You know, so a lot of players end up playing at this level and it, it, it's, it's very hard for them to sort of find the motivation to play there because obviously they're not getting paid very much money. You know, the, 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 I think some of the players still classify themselves as as um, as, as fo- professional footballers, but the reality is they're not getting paid a professional wage. So they have to find something else to do with their lives and, and treat football for, for the enjoyment. And when you've gone through that process of rejection, you know, finding enjoyment in football is still pretty tough. So that's the reality for a lot of players. Um, you know, Ryan McLaughlin's another one who he's out of contract this summer with Rochdale and is contemplating his future. You know, not so long ago, he was being touted as, as sort of the right back to come through before Trent. So it's tough. It's tough for a lot of players. And, um, you know, hopefully Jordan Roster will, will sort of find will find a club in in League One where he's been able to perform. So you know that that that's a positive. He's proven that he can play at League One level. Um, hopefully his fall won't be quite as far as, as some of the others. Cracking piece done by James. Uh, check it out. It's on the Athletic now about Jordan Roster. Although James, you missed the piece about him dive bombing Simon. Amazing. Yeah. I always miss what, the line. What, what, don't, don't trust whatever James what, <laughs> what are the famous people? Yeah, have you got a story out there? If you have, text us for next week. Send send something into the inbox. There's a famous person ever damaged your equipment or yourself <laughs> at a football match. We'd love to know. Um, boys, James, thank you very much. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, All Steve. the best. And that was the Red Agenda for another week. We'll be back uh, in one week's time to talk more on Liverpool Football Club. 